brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Inside Outer Limits is a regular feature on the Paranormal UK radio network. everybody and welcome once again to another edition of Inside Outer Limits radio show with myself Chris Evers the man from Outer Limits magazine and my host who I'm actually I'm gonna let everybody know quietly it's his birthday today and uh, because he's UFO royalty he told me he's had a 21 gun salute hello Philip Mantle the man <laughs> from Flying Express how are you? Yeah good afternoon Chris I'm fine mate unky dory as usual can't complain at all excellent that's excellent how is it in the kingdom of pontefract today great i mean it's sunny outside uh, as you've said you know it's uh, it's my birthday we've had a daily constitutional and a walk around there's nobody to talk to <laughs> but uh, the funny thing is my my wife christine is trying has tried to build a little mini greenhouse out back and you've never seen anything like it in your life she co- she's complaining that there's bits missing, but I'm not convinced. So I've just kept it. I've just kept it out of the way. And what will what what is amusing? She she baked me a cake for my birthday this morning, but um, and I, I really appreciate it. But it didn't quite turn out as it should be. So 
I ended up with a bum rather than a cake. <laughs> <laughs> so instead of being um, the Death Star from Star Wars, it's turned out more like one of those little squash flying saucer sweets that we used to get when we were kids. <laughs> well, well, what's even more amusing is out of the blue, my daughter and her partner and three of our grandchildren turned up and they sang happy birthday out of the car to me outside. <laughs> and of course, brilliant. my daughter had baked me a cake. <laughs> and, it, and it's it's spot on. So I've got a cake after all. But uh, yeah, so it's been a, it's been a lovely day. And in between, I've, I've been busy working on things as as we all have, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, as you know, I've just got the special edition of uh, Outer Limits magazine out, which has gone to everybody on the list. Basically, who's ever had a copy or subscribed, etc. So, and I've had some good feedback from that as well. So that's that's been quite good. Now. We're talking to today to a gentleman who we both know, who's actually one of the twin souls, and uh, we've spoken to his brother in the past, which is Philip Kinsella, and today we've got Ronald Kinsella. Hello, Ron, how are you? Hello, I'm fine, thank you, Chris and Philip, and it's a, a pleasure to be on your show. You're very, very welcome. Thank you for agreeing to come and join us. It's a pleasure. Okay, so how's life for you, Ron? How are you finding this lockdown? Um, actually, um, I'm finding it really um, good because not at the expense of the people. I mean, what's happening is absolutely diabolical. But of course, we have no choice. They've locked us down. So, mm -hmm. But I'm actually quite used to it because, <laughs> to be honest with you, I'm a bit of a recluse myself. So it, it's not uh, too bad for me. But I can understand from other people or appreciate from them uh, if they're uh, outgoing people, outdoors people. I, I, I really do sympathize with them. But I've been okay. Good. Now, we do know that you host a radio show here on Paranormal UK Radio Network with uh, your brother. Now, Philip as well is also, I think he's a bit of an author as well, isn't he? Just like yourself. So I was going to ask you, what, what book have you been working on? Yes, I mean, um, I'm not, I mean, Philip, as a lot of people know, is clairvoyant. Mm -hmm. I am not. And there's an old saying, I couldn't raise the skin of a rice pudding. <laughs> um, I sat in circle for four years and got absolutely bugger all through. Yeah. But there have been some things that have occurred to me um, and they are sporadic uh, and I have no control over them and they're very brief flashes. Um, but this is addressed in a book I'm currently working on for Philip Mantle. Um, his publishing company, Flying Deer's Press, um, he's very kindly given me the opportunity to write this book um, called The Digital Demon. And what it is, I've been spending the last year and a bit, I think Philip knows it's been over a year now, um, working on this uh, project uh, to describe my own encounters with what we call aliens, or once I saw them, as well as going into all sorts of subjects like the sporadic um, visions I've had, um, which are very interesting. Basically, when I had this vision, one of them, I think I had, had time-travelled. And mm. I know it sounds ridiculous. This is why time mm. is mentioned in the book. Uh, do, we, do we need a physical construct, a machine of sorts, to try and cheat uh, the concept of uh, time? Or can we do it ourselves? I'll, I'll let you know what happened if that's all right. This interesting uh, incident that occurred with me, if you, if you wouldn't mind me telling you. A yeah, simple... please do. Yeah, I mean, uh, as you mentioned, twin souls. Yes, Philip and I are very 
fortunate and honoured to be presenting that. I mean, we put it on hold for the time being through certain health issues we've had, which we're getting over now. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Um, but um, so we're going to resume that in August. Uh, but uh, when we were running it, I had a chap uh, from New York and he was a young lad, um, very level headed. Um, he's into this interdimensional uh, approach to these aliens and contact. So we decided to interview him. And when I was on the radio with him, I was just talking with him. Um, William, his name is William. Mm -hmm. And 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 this is amazing because as I, I couldn't see him. We didn't have video link up. We just had audio. And as I was talking to him, for some godforsaken reason, I kept seeing these sand dunes or sand. Now, I nearly passed that up. I nearly passed it up, but it kept coming into my head. I don't know. As we were talking about something entirely different, I kept seeing this sand. And people will ask how you see it. Well, uh, it's it puts multitasking to shame <laughs> because mm. I could see the sand merging over my own thoughts, talking with him. So I said to him, I said, "Hang on a minute." I said, "William, hold on. I'm sorry. I've got I've got to tell you this, William. Why am I seeing sand with you? I mean, why am I seeing it's like loads of sand?" And he said, "I don't know." I've got no idea, Ronnie said. I've got no idea at all. I thought, OK, I passed it up. But I thought it was very odd. But I, I paid no more attention to this. Now, that was a Sunday night. On the Monday, I got home and I found I had a number of emails from William. And he had photographed sand. He said, you're never going to believe this. The job I had today, and I've never worked with it, absolutely tons and tons of sand everywhere. And he took pictures. It's like sand dunes. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, I'm damned. My God, it was irrefutable proof. It couldn't have been coincidence because he said he's never, ever worked with sand with the job he does before. This he did today, that very day. He worked with masses of sand. They even photographed it. All this sand everywhere. It's like sand dunes everywhere. Mm. And I thought, well, as trivial as it was, as insignificant, I said afterwards, because I'm, I'm very level-headed, I don't, I don't run off with the fairies, there must be a reason behind it. So I discounted the concept of it being a fluke, because it was so obvious, it kept projecting in my head again and again. And so, okay, I thought to myself afterwards, I've time-travelled, I've seen what he's doing the next morning. Mm. <laughs> so, well, I feel it where he's controlled when he brings through evidence through in a controlled manner, which is he's um, trained to do, mm -hmm. as we all have this gift, everyone has it, no one is exempt, is only if you choose to tap into it, this extra sensory perceptive thing. But, um, and our God knows I tried, I sat in the circle before and I got absolutely nothing. Um, but it goes to show, doesn't it, that we all have this, but I must have tapped into something. So ostensibly speaking, or loosely put, I had time travel to see a portion of his future that's very interesting very interesting it's um i'm sure i've had experiences like it's kind of like deja vu i've been here before but you know you haven't been there before that that kind of experience yes i mean i, th I, 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 I think if you i think if you looked at my wardrobe you think i'd try and travel but i've gone back in time i've still got <laughs> shirts there from the 1970s you know what i mean <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Interesting, oh, deja vu, as you said. I used to have that quite a lot as a child. I hardly have it anymore. But that was quite frequent as a child. But it's just worn off. And I'm honest. I'm up front with anyone, and especially you gentlemen. I'm, I mean, I, I, they, I went to see a medium. I mean, this is what the whole book is about. It is my quest to understand the paranormal. 
and it approaches it from not a hard angle, but it's a very uh, what's the word? What's the word I can use for it? It's um, in a constructive manner. I do mm. believe that there are aliens. I do believe them because I've seen them. I saw the doctors when I was thirteen. They were the ones. Let's, who... Just before we talk about that, just yeah. carry on with your point because I want to talk about the experience that you had with your brother. So we'll we'll go into that just very very shortly. But go go ahead. Yes. So it 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 it, it levels out all these. It is it is also autobiographical, but done in a way where it's merged in with the experiences and my views of others. I mean, mm. we have Calvin Parker in there. There's something I found out through his testimony that's very interesting. He's a lovely gentleman. Absolutely believe this happened to him. This mm. happened to him and Charlie. But there's something he mentioned which I've addressed in the book. I won't give it out because I don't want to spoil it. Very interesting. Um, which l lends credence to what these things could possibly be. And they're yeah. not human. We know that. They're not human. Um, and also other issues with um, uh, with the alien paradox. Um, with yeah. um, There's a chap I've uh, written about, Earl Anderson, Earl Grey Anderson, who's a wonderful gentleman, and I have yeah. his testimony in there as well. It's, it's, so it is basically autobiographical. But it also merges in, it, it blends in beautifully with everything I'm addressing. Now, okay. the beginning... It, in the beginning, it does go into my childhood, especially yeah. about a dreadful teacher I had, a very dreadful teacher. That's all in there. Everything is in there. And this is important to begin this because I'm giving uh, uh, the reader an idea of my character, mm -hmm. of who I am, what I am, so that they will know that hopefully they won't question my integrity when they finished reading that because I am so honest. I cheated at school. Mm -hmm. I pinched things as a kid. I mean, I was punished for it. I set fire to aerosol cans. I was I was dreadful. I was lazy at school. So I've I've put this all in there to give first um, a sort of like an overview of who I am before we get into the really dark stuff. And it is a very dark book. Hmm. Okay. Now, we did, well, I did say we'll talk about your experience with your brother in a few minutes. So let's go into that now. Well, can I, can I just ask, ask one thing before we go into that, Chris? I'm go, a... go on then, Phil, I'll let no, you. <laughs> no, well, it was interesting to, to hear what Ronnie had to say there about um, we all have this uh, ability, if you like. Mm -hmm. um, and I've often, how's this got an idea for you, uh, Ronnie? I mean, I, I've, 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 I can't say I've, I've ever seen anything paranormal. I've witnessed something. But um, my idea about the paranormal is that it's could it be that when we were in a more uh, uh, you know native environment, you know when we first sort of jumped down from the trees and began to walk upright, yeah, that did we all of us? I won't call them powers. Did all of us have these abilities? And as we've evolved and become in inverted commas, more civilized, mm. have we lost the use of them? Uh, and that, you know, do they, do some, you know, do some of us still have those abilities on, and, and can harness them, uh, but where others, it just happens now and again, it's spontaneous. One of the things that, that made me think about it, I watched a, uh, you know, a wildlife documentary, some anthropologist went up the jungle with, you know, with the tribesmen, they literally lived on, you know, in wooden huts on stilts. And they took him hunting, I think it was for monkeys. And this was very dense jungle. They laughed at him because he'd got boots on. 
And, uh, you know, they go just in their bare feet. <laughs> and, of course, another thing they laughed at, he had a little box uh, of currants, uh, and he was chewing them, and he gave them some, and they thought they were disgusting because they were so sweet, because in their natural diet, they don't have anything like that. Anyway, digressed. So they wandered off up through the jungle. Chase, chase a monkey, shoot it, there's dinner tonight. Then they just walk back, back home. Yeah. You know, there's not on a track. You know, they've chased this this thing through, through the jungle, you know, but they could just turn around and, and walk on. Yes, yes. You know, and they're not looking for anything. They just know which way to go. And it reminds me of an experiment that was done many years back. And I think it was a group of students from Manchester University. They were blindfolded and had earmuffs put on, put in a car and driven round at random. And then they got out of the car and asked them to point the direction of home, where they, where they lived. And I think it was something like 60% of them got it right. Yes. Which was far more than you would expect, you know, just as a as a as a lucky guess, so to speak. Yeah. So yeah. could it be that we've always, like you say, we've always had these abilities, but now we've some of us, most of us, have lost have lost the use of them, or am I talking complete nonsense? No, I think that's absolutely a valid point, Philip. I agree with you. I mean, <clears throat> what it is, we can't say. They call it extrasensory perception. So basically, it's a, a part of our brain with are they asleep or it's been dormant or, it's, or whereas other people exercise it. As I said, I've tried to exercise mine in circle for four years and I got absolutely zilched through. I mean, I, I was an absolute flop uh, to, I think, the amusement of some of the people there. But I tried it. I left in the end. But what I am uh, uh, more interested in uh, through this book, apart from the fact that I have had these um, slight visions... Um, I've also had a future vision, which is in the book. That's at the end. They should, it was like the sand. I've had them quite uh, frequently, but they're sporadic and they're uncontrollable and they're very brief. But I had one of a, of a vision, which I had of the earth here, um, which is in the book as well. And uh, pe some people, when they listen to this, say, oh, hang on a minute, that's a selling tactic. Well, no, because it's the absolute truth. You know, it makes me laugh when you read online that they're saying when you're promoting a video and they're saying they're just trying to sell their book. Well, yes, I mean, the whole point is if you didn't have the video, there'd be no book. You know, it's one of those yeah, things. Yeah, that makes me laugh as well. I mean, you know, you know, how many people give away books free of charge? I mean, you know. Yeah, <laughs> but they certainly don't qualm at a footballer showing or flashing off his new shirt where they'll run out to go and buy it when they're promoting their new shoes. They don't complain of that. But my book, more to the point, is to do with the extraterrestrials. And certainly an encounter I had in 1982. And it was quite a vicious time, um, perhaps even before that, because I had no knowledge of extraterrestrials, not real knowledge at all. I mean, I'd heard of some things, but I had no interest in them. And when I saw the doctors, um, that was um, absolutely horrifying although they weren't nasty the encounter left me confused and this is what spearheaded later on in life my interest and determination to get to the bottom of these ufos and i'm afraid to say i haven't but it is good to draw theories um the what the doctors left me a goodbye kiss a present i would say and quite a nasty thing it took me over 30 years to work out what it actually meant and it, it, it paints them in a very clever light, whatever they were. 
but yes, I agree with you, Philip, on that. Absolutely. You well, know, give, well, give us a rundown then. But we'll, we'll 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 move on. Give us a rundown of what you know. You mentioned the doctors. What happened, Philip? Uh, why do you think that there were doctors as well? That would be quite interesting as well. Yeah. Then. Yeah, that will come into it. I don't know what they were, um, but basically, prior to them, the same year in 1982. This is 1982. Now. In certain programs, I've mistakenly labelled it as 1983 or 1982. Now, if people can understand, I'm a child, basically a child. I never kept a diary. These things weren't allowed to be spoken of. You couldn't. You just couldn't talk about anything like it, especially at my age. The family or friends would think you're absolute nuts. But we worked out it was 1982 because 1981, uh, our grandfather had bought us the Sinclair ZX. 81 they'd come out then hence mm -hmm. 81 so i had the machine and we got that at christmas so i had the machine that year after so i knew it was then night so it was 1982 uh in the summer of 1982 we used to stay with our grandparents wonderful wonderful uh people they were absolutely lovely grandma and granddad in tashbrook road in middlesex granddad worked at Heathrow airport he worked for klm he said they were a wonderful company well we used to stay with them for six weeks during the summer holiday and this is how it started. I believe there, as David Icke says, you connect the dots. You can't at the time because things haven't transpired. It's only afterwards when you can do this, you can connect the dots. But we were out, basically in a nutshell, we're outside with Grandma. She was hanging out some washing. And all of a sudden, this sphere, a bit smaller than a football, I would say, but the size of that, more or less, shot over and landed over her head and just hung there. Now, the first impression was it was a balloon. That's the first thing that comes to mind. It's a balloon, even if it was silver. It wasn't a balloon. It was nothing of the sort. I had a damn good look at this. And um, it was just just above her head. It hung there, whereas a breezy day, it didn't move an inch. And um, I got the impression it was an electronic eye. It was watching us. And this is my first, I think, my very first viewing of something otherworldly. And it was controlled because it stood there for a while, or sorry, hung there for a while. And um, I got a good look at it. There was no markings on it. There was no seal. There was no notch or anything where the cord is attached to. No, it was, and it looked heavy. And it stayed there for a while. And we pointed up and Grandma tried to belay our fears by just saying, oh, look, the fairies have come to take a closer look. I damn well knew it was the fairies. I knew when we looked up at it that it was watching us. I knew it was watching. And when you look at this, it's, it's really amazing. It was like, it, I knew it was technology. I just didn't know what technology, and, and people have tried to say, well, if it was a, a probe, it would be military. I've always said, no, it is not. Firstly, there are two pointers why it's not military. Firstly, they would never have been able to harness technology with anti-gravity mechanisms at that time. And secondly, if they could, why on earth would they be spying on a grandmother with her two grandsons? There would be no point, absolutely no point whatsoever. So it watched us, and then it it veered off towards the house, went straight up, and then over the roof. It went. So then we moved to the Christmas of 1982, and this was horrendous. Um, and I believe the eye was connected with what they were going to do. They were obviously observing the subjects before they take them. Or I can't prove it, but it's just a theory. It just seems down odd that the two are connected. Um, in 1982... Um, I was taken one night, uh, we lived up Hazelbury Crescent by Luton Football Club, Football Town, Football Town Club, as, uh, uh, the old Victorian houses, really big houses, uh, big rooms in them, 
And uh, Philip and I shared a room, and it was big enough. I mean, my goodness, I mean, uh, uh, as a kid, we were quite spoiled, really. I mean, we had we had our own black and white TV in there, as well as having a ZX81 computer. A lot of kids didn't have that then, because a lot of TVs came from radio rentals, as you know. Most people yeah. got things from radio rentals. Yeah, so like our video recorder, we couldn't afford one then. Everyone rented them because they were so damn expensive. So we had, I think we had the Betamax first, the VHS. But this gives, illustrates the time. I mean, it was a black and white TV, but we had it in our room. And um, I was lying in bed and uh, I was just taken up through the ceiling. It sounds ridiculous, but I'm going to just say it as it is. Taken through the ceiling up to this thing. Now, there was something hanging in the sky. There was something there, something dark. It was it was a clear night. I, I don't know if it was starry. I can't remember that, but I could see this thing. But I could not for the life of me discern the shape it was just black it was hanging there and i was taken up and the next thing i remembered and this is not sleep paralysis i've gone through all that it's not uh, it's nothing of I'm, I'm not on drugs i didn't smoke or anything i mean you know i was quite perfectly fit not a thing wrong with me as uh, sharp as a knife anyway i wake up I'm in, and i'm in this wheelchair and it's not like your standard wheelchair this is a really strange-looking wheelchair. It's really odd. It looks modern, very modern. And I think it's white. Now, I'm colorblind. I can discern white and black. I can discern a lot of blues, but I can get confused with purples if they get darker or lighter, depending on what it is, greens and browns. But it was white. And I couldn't move in it. I, was, uh, I could move my head to a degree. I could move. I had a degree of movement, but I was suspended in this chair. Now, I was rather alarmed because the first thing I noticed ahead of me was I knew I was in some kind of thing. I don't know what it was, because if you could understand at that point, so much is happening. I could see ahead of me there was an operating table. Uh, but before this operating table, there was these um, there were these figures that were humanoid. They were tall. They looked like us, albeit they were masked. They couldn't see their faces. They look very, very strange. That's why I call them the doctors, the mm. operating theatre, and it's what they had. They looked like they had um, masks on, like the... I now have figured out I couldn't tell what the underneath part of their mouth, their mouthpiece was. I still can't remember. So I have done an image of them in my, using my art, but I've elaborated that. But there's no elaboration on the goggles they had. They looked like the World War II gas masks, mm. the eyepieces, they're round. I couldn't see their eyes. I just couldn't see. There were lenses in them. Anyway, I'm sitting there, absolutely terrified, and a voice reaches my ears, and it, it startles me, and it's a male voice, I would say perhaps in the 40s, very, very authoritative voice, very well-educated and well-spoken voice. And the first thing he says, we're going to perform an operation on you, Ronald. Now, when he said my name, I was horrified because he was behind me. I could not see him. I tried to turn to see him. I couldn't see him. Something just prevented me from seeing this chap behind me. And I remembered I was absolutely horrified. And I kept thinking, I knew then, I don't know how, but I knew it was to do with the head. I knew it had to do with the head. Something was wrong. I, I don't know why that, that uh, thought came to me, but it was to do with neurological problem. I gathered it was. Um... And I remembered, I, I remembered 
And those were the exact words he used. Now, someone's asked me, did you see him uh, talk? I said, no, because I, first I couldn't see him. And they're all, if, they're, if he's like the ones in front, they're wearing masks. I can't see their faces. I couldn't see anything of them. And I, I remembered pleading with him. I remembered I was crying. I was visibly upset and I was shaking. I was crying. I said, no, please, I don't want the operation. I, I'm begging of you. And he was very nice but firm. He said, no, we have to perform this. It has to be done. Something to do with it has to be done. It's for your own good. Something along those lines. And um, he, oh, and then he, he said, I, but I will, I promise you, we are not going to harm you. Well, I entrusted him with that. It was just the thought of this damn operation. And then he leaned forward. Now, I still couldn't see him. The only thing I could see was his left hand. And he, it was gloved. They wore gloves. And there was this utensil rack. I suddenly realized there was a utensil rack beside me. Trying to remember that is quite hard. I don't know if it was metal or plastic. I can't remember. But there was a utensil rack, because I'm not looking at that. I'm looking at what he's picking up in his hand. And he picks up, and I wish I'd counted his fingers. These are the things people ask you to do. But, you you know, later on, did you count them? No, because you're, you're, you're distracted by what's going on. He picks up this device. It's a, a long cylindrical-like stick thing with a needle on the end and a nodule now he takes this and he takes my left hand very gently he leans over and he presses the nodule on the top of my hand not the palm it is i got that wrong it is the top of the hand he just pushes this nodule on there bang i'm out i'm out cold the next thing is the worst of it i don't know what they did why they did it, but this was absolutely real. I was dropping from it. They were putting me back. So as I was dropping, this was quite prominent. It wasn't when I was being taken up, but the prominency of this was that I could feel this energy buzzing through me, and it was like every hair on my body was static. It was standing on end. It was like a pulse, a pulse, and a pulse. Now, I went through the roof of the Victorian house, Hazelbury Crescent, right down into our room, and they put me back on my bed, and I felt this bump. It was very soft, but that's me landing on the mattress, and on my back and then they do the most although i could never understand why they did it, the nastiest thing of all it is a thing that has horrified me all my life i've never forgotten it it's still in my mind even when i'm even as i'm rekindling this and and discussing it with you gentlemen it's the fact that <coughs> they projected <coughs> excuse me i knew it was a projection i damn well knew it was a hologram they projected on the ceiling of the room, of the bedroom, a gigantic, only the head off, it is just the head, a huge, shimmering Cheshire cat. Now, this Cheshire cat, the head of him, was not like the Lewis Carroll's sweet version. This was a nightmare to behold, because when I observed that thing, I was absolutely horrified. His face was evil. He had all his teeth, and he wasn't moving, per se, but he was shimmering like he was like water. It was like an electric blue water, but he was there. It was like he was real and he was hanging there massively over my head and he was looking down at me. Now I was terrified. And within perhaps the space of, I don't know how long it was, it must have been 30 seconds, a minute, maybe, maybe 60 seconds. He dissipated, dissipated. He went, it vanished. And that, that was the end of that episode. Now, something very strange happened after that. When I was at school, and of course I told Philip about the encounter and the Cheshire Cat, I worked out what that meant. 
It took me 30-odd years to work out what that was, because that's been bothering me ever since. When I went to school, I was in geography. Now, as I said, I'm, I'm as fit as a fiddle. Absolutely nothing wrong. I've never had a fit before, and I never had a fit afterwards. But shortly after that episode with the doctors, as I call them, I don't know what they were. Um, they weren't normal, that's for sure. Um, I had a massive fit in school to the point where I collapsed onto the pupil. I had these massive pains running down my head, four of them. Massive pains. They were so painful, I crushed my head. I fell onto the side of a pupil. He kindly pushed me onto the floor, and I was fitting for about two minutes. They pulled me out of class, and they said they asked me if I'd like to see a doctor. I said no, because I was terrified of doctors, and it was to do with the head. Mm. Now, this is the point I'd like to make. What on earth, if I can't say these are attributed to them, I can't prove it, but it seems damn odd that they'd done this thing and afterwards I had this massive fit. Now, my argument is this. If it is connected with them, did they put something in or did they alleviate a problem that could have killed me? I have no way of knowing, but it's extraordinary. Isn't it? And this actually happened. I can't stress enough. And really, would people really think I'd invent something like that? Because I found out, that's why I didn't speak about it for years. I mean, it was only in my 40s when I started to come out with it, my mid-40s. Um, because I think you're crazy. But because more people, the likes of you incredible researchers and Philip Mantle, are brave enough to confront these subjects, this is what gave me the willpower to come out with this this incident, this encounter. And I wouldn't say it was an abduction. I don't call myself an abductee. I was just taken. So were they and the probe connected? I don't know. But that is initially, and I'll tell you what the cat meant afterwards, or I think it meant, but that's the initial encounter I had with them, with, as I call, the doctors in 1982. Okay. When... Did all this stay within your memory, or has it has it come out over the years? Um, you know, because it has been said that um, the creatures, the visitors, whatever you want to call them, that are doing these kind of things, actually try to cover your memory so you don't remember exactly what happened, or you don't remember the event at all. Yes, the Cheshire Cat, I have realised, may have been the linchpin for it because. After that, the doctor strangely slightly wavered, but the cat never did. And I worked mm. out, it took me a long time to work out what he may have represented. And if I'm right, it makes them very, very smart. Very smart. Yes. I had seen I had seen a few years prior, I mean, we all, most of us have seen Alice in Wonderland. I saw it, I admit it, I saw it when I was a kid. I wasn't interested, and I must admit, it was over my grandparents' one uh, Christmas, I think it was a few years prior to this. I'd seen it. I wasn't interested, and I'm more, as a kid, I was more inclined to love Star Wars, as we all were, mad on Star Wars, than I would Lewis, um, no disrespect to Lewis Carroll. I mean, he's a genius himself, but I just it's just not my sort of thing. But could it be possible that because, and certain, these are certain questions I raise in the book about them, why they can't and successfully anaesthetize you. Obviously, they couldn't. Or if they did, would they leave some sort of signature or residue? I don't know. Perhaps they felt confident that they could control it with their mind to a degree, or they felt confident that the cat would be used as a method of forgetting. Because the reason why they projected the Cheshire Cat, or I assume, was because that if I go and see a psychologist or any form of doctor and tell them about the doctors first, and then I reiterate the Cheshire Cat, they'll say, oh, hang on a minute, wait there, wait there. You've you've been down the rabbit hole. 
you're just getting confused. You're getting mixed up. This is Alice in Wonderland. You see where this is going. Mm. So it goes to show they might have been so smart. They plucked that out. They know it's very well to pluck it out and project it, albeit in a horrifying holographic image that at the time, I mean, even, even you and Philip know yourselves that in 1982, 3D was crude. I mean, when you went to see Jaws, you had these horrendous sunglasses. I think they were red and green and blue or something like that. And they, it did, it, they didn't work very well. The Cheshire Cat, when they projected that, the technology, the technology used to stabilize photons, to create an image using that without any lenses or mirrors is absolutely astronomical. And I knew that was a hologram. I mean, people will say that's in your head. It wasn't because if it was, then the doctors would be in my head. It was real. I could see the hologram. It was there. And I knew it's funny, isn't it? I knew it was sometimes I didn't know the word then as a kid of 13. I mean, they were 3D. I would think I would call it 3D then. But we now refer to them as holograms. But that is why, yes, the doctors, in answer to your question, Chris, the doctors would have been. But their undoing, I think, was the Cheshire Cat unwittingly projecting that damn thing. And it's so horrifying. I've never forgotten it. It's still ingrained in my in my head. And I try as I might, I can't redraw it or recapture the, the horror of that thing. And uh, But I've never seen the Doctors again. That was in 1982. I have never seen them again. Hmm. When when this occurred, was you on your own or, or was your brother with you? Or... Uh, in in this incident, well, Philip and I shared a room in, in yeah. Hazelbury Crescent. I mean, but no, he was he was out cold. He was ah, out cold. Okay. Didn't, didn't stir at all. Didn't stir. And as I said, uh, it uh, was... Uh, it uh, very bizarre. Absolutely, absolutely. So, okay, let's 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 move on from there. Then, did you did you get any any more experiences or any close encounters or or anything of of that kind of nature uh, from that time period up to, up to you know to modern day? Yes, it's very strange because this opened up a can of worms. Whatever they did, I mean, they were as I must reiterate this: they weren't nasty. They were very, I mean, I, when he spoke, when the chief or the leader, whatever they call them, or the, the top ones spoke, I trusted him. He had a very kind voice, but they were forceful. He was, I knew when I begged him not to do this or them to do this operation, that I knew it, it was pointless because I knew they were going to do it. They, they were determined to do this. They just, they just seemed to be a little bit of urgency behind what they were doing, although I can't prove what they did. I have no idea what they did, but I suspect it was to do with the head. But uh, I have had encounters many after that, not with the doctors. As I said, I've never seen them. I've seen a lot of the UFOs. But on top of these UFOs, it also opened up the psychic approach where uh, a lot of damn strange things happened. I mean, we, so and then this opens up two points of interest, which is the paranormal. And what I mean by that is the psychic or the um, spiritual element and the UFOs. So you're seeing, I actually began to understand that it's not pigeonholed, just aliens or flying saucers or UFOs. This encompasses a lot of many different aspects of this, this subject. You have ghosts and, and things like that. You know, you have ghosts and aliens and, and, and time travel. Um, the hypothesis of it, which is still laughed at, 
Um, uh, not not by a lot of people, I think, but there's a lot of them think it's just science fiction. And you have uh, so this degree, it, it opened up a can of worms. Excellent. Yeah, absolutely. Now. Phil, uh, Philip Mantle, of course, uh, my co-author, he's also um, pub, uh, writing a, a new book currently, aren't you, Phil? I am indeed, mate, yes. Yeah. I mean, would, I, would this encounter be something that you'd include in your new publication? No, it, it, it's not, because what I'm, I'm dealing with is something, in, you know, uh, entirely different. And, um, you know, I, I know some of what, is going into Ronnie's book because we've been corresponding for the last several months about the book, uh, and I know it's not far from completion. Um, but no, what 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 I've been writing about, uh, Chris, or, or, or will be publishing later, is um, UFO landing cases in Britain mm-hmm. and, and Britain only. And um, I was interested when, when listening to Ronnie there about. Um, when he had the, the, the fit the day after. Um, this, I've been writing about a case today, although uh, it happened in 1975 in, in Wales. Uh, and, that, and this was a young lad, you know. Um, and he didn't have a fit straight afterwards, but he's, certainly his health went downhill and did for quite some time as well. So it just kind of made me think when, when, when Ronnie mentioned that he had this, this episode the following day. Uh, but no, UFO, UFO landing cases and, and, and landing cases in Britain only, Chris. Um, and, and that's what I'm concentrating on. It's something uh, I've been interested in for a long time. One of the, one of the very earliest cases I ever investigated with uh, Mark Birdsell at the Yorkshire UFO Society uh, that's going back in time, but this is the early 1980s, was at the, the mining town of Normanton, which is just down the road from, from where I live now. And this was a, a you know a UFO landing case in broad daylight, seen by a number of witnesses, uh, and it always stuck with me. And I refer back to uh, the late Dr. Hynek when he talked about high strangeness. In other words the high strangeness factor, the, probably the more weird and wonderful these cases are, i.e. the amount of high strangeness they have, have in them, the less likely they are to be a, of a conventional object, for example. You know, because these things, like, like, like Ronnie's encounter, are up close and personal. Mm. So, you know, you're not going to... The chances of being misidentifying something... Uh, is strictly limited. So I haven't got a title for the book yet. It's 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 not come to me. I'm you know I don't want a boring title, but it will come to me at some point. So um, I'd I'd already started writing the book back in 2018, and I got to the third chapter, and then I met Calvin Parker, and of course got very active in publishing Calvin's two books and helping him research things as well. So that was put on the back burner. So now that we're all in lockdown, it was, you know, I had, I had two choices. It was either to, you know, hide the wife's body under the patio or write another book. <laughs> you know? Sounds like an episode of Brooks. <laughs> and, and as I rather like the patio as it is, I decided to, to, to get back to this book. You know what well, I mean? You won't get any more birthday cakes if you do that, Phil. <laughs> Birthday buns. It turned out as a bun, mate. 
This is quite a strangeness you're talking about, um, Philip. Yes, this is an interesting point. And because after this incident with them, I mean, I was only 13. Um, I, I tried to, all I did was try and forget the cat. He was always there, but I could try and push it into the back of my mind. I mean, it's something you have to do because if you tell any teacher or if you tell anyone educated at the time, they would think you're absolute barmy. But some of them, some people were a little bit, um, sympathetic or understanding. Um, but, and that, I'm talking about one of the teachers at Stockwood High School, a wonderful uh, high school I used to go to. One of the gentlemen there he was an old chap. He was into these. And when I told him what had happened, he gave me a load to borrow of the magazines. And he had a load, he collected these, mag- I don't know what the UFO magazine was called. It was quite, uh, quite a, um, a successful uh, publication, but it came in binders. You could put them in binders. Um, I can't, but he lent me a lot of his yeah, he lent me a lot of his magazines. But what it did do with this high strangeness, after the encounter with them, we had this old guitar. I mean, Philip was bought it one Christmas when he was, I think, 11 or 12 um, to learn to play the guitar. And he, he never really blessed me. <laughs> he never really did pick it up. So we used this. I used it to prop up against the door. Um, and this was... It would have been absolutely laughable or futile because I was frightened of something coming in the door. Now, they took me up through the ceiling, but I was convinced something was going to come through the door at night. And what I'd also do was strangely shove hardback books up my back when I fell asleep. I was frightened of someone stabbing me or someone taking me or hurting me. I did the most bizarre things um, after the incident with the doctor. So there was residue um, psychological trauma because I was terrified of being taken by something. And the very thought of visiting doctors always used to horrify me as well. If they'd mentioned a doctor, I was horrified because automatically thinking they're going to look into the head or something. I don't know what they've done, but thankfully I got out of after the fit. I didn't need to see one. I had the choice to. I didn't want to do because it's to do with the brain, isn't it? And when you're 13, you're young and you, you feel like nothing's wrong and there certainly didn't seem to be anything wrong with me. Um, so I was damn right, damn well not going to see a doctor. I thought, no, I don't want to see anyone. I just wanted to all go away. And thankfully, I've never had a fit since after that initial one. So, but I used to prop up with this high strangeness. I prop up things against the door, books, even books, guitars. Um, and it, it traumatized me. But of course, it was a silent trauma. Because you couldn't tell anyone, you couldn't talk about it. Um, but I knew it happened. I mean, someone asked me uh, recently, because this is very, this is uh, in, in the book I'm writing for Philip Mantle. Uh, the, 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 the book itself, I go into very, uh, a lot of detail about these doctors. Um, I, I got their eyes. I think I've got them right. They're goggles. Uh, but they looked like they were cap- they were, they were masked. They were completely from head to, head to toe. And I thought, well, our neurologists, they don't need all that get up. I mean, they wear a mask and they have um, uh, surgical gowns on and that and gloves, but they don't. They're nothing like these blokes because they were completely, it's like gas masks and everything. They were absolutely, it was over the top. It was over the top. And I got the impression, could it be that they were trying to hide their true appearance, what they were? Now, I'm not going to make this fit. I'm not saying they were. I don't know what they were. I won't to this day, but they weren't usual. They were a very strange. Now, someone asked me, were they graves? I said, I, I can't answer that. I don't know what they were. I couldn't see them talk. I couldn't see what they were behind all that get up. Uh, they were just focused on what they were going to do. And they did it. You know, so this is very well documented in 
the, the, my book um, with illustrations in as well. But they um, they are very strange. This high strangeness, yes, that left me with a lot of trauma uh, in back in 1982. Yeah, it's very strange. Well, yeah. the, young, the young man I was talking about in the case in Wales, I mean, he was just a normal young lad with his brother. And, um, you know, his personality changed. He, he lost the sight in one eye. And then it would come back, and then it would be the other eye, and it was both. And he had um, a complete character change, you know, he got into trouble at school and all this kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, and this was still going on some three years after uh, the encounter. It was three years uh, after that the case was found out about, and he was, uh, you know, uh, interviewed. Yes. And um, so it can. What what I, what I also recognise from what you were saying, Philip, is that is that who do you tell about these things? That's right. You know the amount of witnesses that that I've spoken to said, well, I first went to. I told my partner, you know, and he wasn't interested. You know. Yeah. Um, you know, I told my parents. What could they do? They were concerned, but they just put their hands up. Uh, one lady went to a doctor. You know. Again, that's why you go see your doctor. I thought I must be going off my head, you know. Yeah. Uh, he gave us some some medication, didn't do any good. So in yeah. the end, you know, you're the last resort uh, as the UFO investigator. And I think a lot of people who have had, we'll call them encounters for, for want of a better word, they are happy to, to to eventually speak to someone who will just listen you know and and and, and not laugh and not make any judgment and and uh, you know i think that's a a, a vi valuable part of any ufo investigators toolkit is to you know not sit in judgment but sit and listen and um that's why i wasn't interrupting what you were saying philip you know it's just you can learn an awful lot by just sitting down saying nothing and listening you know, yes. And uh, I'll give you an example. When I well, I worked in industry most of my life, I remember one gentleman. He was the the human resources director, a big man with a, uh, with a Scottish accent. But when you went to a meeting, he always spoke very softly. So I asked him. I said, "Why do you speak so softly at these meetings?" He says, "Because then you have to listen to me. Ah. So if you, if you want to know what he's saying, you have to listen." Yes. You know, um, so, you know, I, 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 you know, I took a lot of lessons from people like that, that listening is, is, a, is, a, is, a, is a good skill to have. Um, but if I, you know, I'm looking forward uh, very much to the book uh, as I uh, people should know your, your twin brother, Philip. Yeah. Uh, his book is already done and ready to go. Yes. And at some point when we think it's appropriate, we'll publish that. Yeah. So that would be a first, I think, for, for any publisher to have two different books from a set of twins. Yes. I should be interested to read your book as well, the one you're working on about that lad. Um, the thing about the aliens is that, or whatever they are, I mean, we call them aliens, um, which refers to them, I gather, from being out of space or whether they're interdimensional. It doesn't matter. The thing is, it is happening and it's happening um, quite a lot. Um, it's the fact that they always capture you when you're vulnerable. They they know they're rather like crafty. They've learned the tactics of our crooks, night stalkers. They wait more than not, not always, but more than not, they wait until you're uh, you're prone. 
You're in bed, you're half naked, and you're asleep. You don't have any defenses. This is when they come in for the kill. They'll come and take you because they've learned our habits. They know our habits. And the best way to always apprehend anyone, this is what I've written about in my book, is that they've, they've unconsciously or wittingly taken on the habits of crooks because they're night stalkers. They, 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 they wait until you're asleep and you're, you're, you're vulnerable and you're unattended and they take you. But as I said, this incident spurred a lot more uh, to come, especially with the UFOs. And, uh, and it's every two or three years I used to see them after that. As I said, I've never seen those things again, thank God. Um, but we have seen the UFOs and I actually have seen um, a triangular ship and i saw it in broad daylight and i was absolutely gobsmacked so when you and this was gigantic this is not military and ironically prior to seeing this um i had been to some friend's house where a researcher had told me that they're all military he was and i'd never seen one and i've never seen a triangular ship and never even thought about it or thought about them but he was going on about these triangular ships which i thought we dare say some of them might be you know they're very smart and clever the military very you you know what they could have as a top secret projects we'll never know that this damn thing was not military um and it's ironic that he was drumming it into me that they are military well this incident was many years after the doctors this was perhaps about I don't know if it's nine years ago. I was out in the garden. And this these this is what happens. This is what has happened since then, since that orb and since those doctors. We have been followed, or I gather they're followed by them. Um every two or three years we see them. They're overhead, they're near. Um and this triangular ship was absolutely gigantic. Now I end I you you talk you said about high strangeness, Philip. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what I discovered with this ship. Um, it, it basically it was after seven in the evening. It was I think August. It was August, so the sun was still up, and uh, it just casually. I was out there because I smoked then. I had I used to smoke uh, cigarettes, very naughty, but I don't smoke now, not cigarettes. And this thing came right overhead. Now this is I want to make it quite clear that when we see them, they're not pinpricks of light. They're right up close. They're right up. This was so low. I mean, I, I couldn't have, uh, I couldn't have reached it with a, uh, uh, with, with a conventional uh, stick or anything like that. But it was quite high up. But it was low, and it passed gracefully overhead. Now I was on my own. I had no witnesses, so I have got no one to substantiate the claims. But I don't lie. I never lie. I'm not delusional. I wasn't smoking anything wacky. I'm not on drugs. I don't drink. This thing was gigantic. It it gradually passed, perhaps the speed of a plane, and it was, and it was. I could see its belly, triangular, and it was going overhead. Now I had a damn good look at this thing, a damn good look at it. The first thing I noticed was that on the side of it, the side panel, it had grooves in there. There were grooves like machine grooved. Also, underneath the belly was smooth. There were no girders, there was no technological instrumentation or machinery. It was all smooth, just flat. It was black and it, it was it it was like tar, shiny tar. The interesting thing about this and from the researcher, from his books he showed me, was the complete depth of the thing. I uh, did notice when it was passing overhead, it was extremely set. I mean, you could have got 15 decks on that thing, 15 decks. It was enormous. 
Also, another point I, I, I realized, the corners were not sharp. They were beautifully rounded. It was rounded. Now, I couldn't see the cockpit or the front bit because it, it was passing overhead. I saw the belly of it and the side and the back. And as it was passing overhead, there were no engines. There was no noise, no noise, nothing. It just glided overhead. It wasn't a drone. It was massive. I mean, my goodness, it was gigantic. And and it looked heavy, like the sphere I saw in 1982. It looked it looked very heavy. But as it passed overhead, there's one thing I noticed, this high strangeness. Now, in August, where we are, we have a lot of birds. There's a lot of trees there, a lot of birds around uh, during that time. They're always there. They're all flittering about everywhere, finches and pigeons and things like that. When this thing appeared, there was not one bird, nothing. You couldn't even hear anything. Everything went dead silent. The whole world is as if it stood still. And this thing just graciously passed overhead. Now, people say, why didn't you get a picture of it? Right. I've always I've, I've, I've spoken about this before. Now, let's consider this as it's passing overhead. My mobile phone is upstairs. Now, I could have done. I could have raced up to get it and tried to set it up to take a picture. But by that time, it might have gone. Now, I had two choices and the, taking a picture of it didn't even appeal to me because all I wanted to do was look at it. And I got a damn good look at it. And I will tell you now, that thing is not military. I knew as soon as I saw that, that was otherworldly technology. The absolute fascination. I remember thinking, I was saying, my God, my God, my God, when it was passing overhead, because how can they get something so gigantic like that? Perhaps the size of two football fields, football stadiums. And it was gigantic. I can't reiterate how big this thing was. I just can't. I still am got a gobsmack when I reflect over it. I could make it as light as a feather with no sound, nothing. No, nothing. It was certainly very strange, but there were no sounds of birds, nothing. It was just silent. And I remember thinking after seeing this, I thought, do I report it? No, I don't think I will report it because every time you do, you'll get backlash and you're, oh, you, you'll just imagined it, you know. Even if you did take a picture of it, they'll say it's CGI. So there's no way of winning. But it was a satisfying personal satisfaction that I had seen one of these things. And I actually doubted them. I'm going to be honest with you. When people kept talking about them, I said, oh, it's, no, it's military, it's probably just some aircraft. And this is coming from a person who's seen these blasted strange things when I was 13. But mm. well, when I saw it, I thought, oh, my God, they're real. And this was in broad daylight. Yeah, my first encounter on it wasn't really an encounter. It was a set of lights in the sky. Um, oh. I have spoken about them before. I think I spoke, spoke about them at one of the OLM conferences. Uh, lights leapfrogging over each other across the sky. They got above me and I shouted, look, guys, there's a group of us friends playing soldiers, playing war. Look, guys, there's a set of lights, UFO. I shouted it up in the sky. But as I shouted that, it blinked out and it didn't carry leapfrogging over itself um, in the sky. Since that event, I've long believed that they can actually read us and that they know what we're thinking. Now, if, if I mean, I've seen lights in the sky during daytime as well, and I've thought to myself, um, shall I run and get my camera? And I think, well, no, because they're going to know anyway. You might as well just stand there and take in all the information that you possibly can. Look at it, get, you know, visual, you know, get it in your head so you know exactly what it was like. And if necessary, you can help to, you, you can draw it and, and, and everything. So I yes. actually think that they know what we're thinking anyway. 
Yes, I absolutely agree with you. That has been, I've heard this before. Uh, and it's good, it's it's down to you good researchers yourself, your eminent selves, let's put it mantle as well. I mean, that uh, are striving for the truth to try and uh, make comparisons with things to see if there's a pattern. Um, yes, it, probably uh, they could. The one thing I did get from this, and it was, as I said, it was in broad daylight. I saw it all. The, the metal or what it, whatever it was, was uh, black. It was like shiny tar. It looked like it had been molded, but there were visible grooves along the sides where the sun reflected off it as it was passing overhead. Beautiful, absolutely beautiful looking thing, but very, very eerie. I mean, I was just so stunned. I was frozen just watching it passing gracefully overhead. It just carried on and carried on and disappeared. I did get the impression, perhaps this is from my own impression, of aloofness. It's like, we're here. What are you going to do about it? There's nothing you can do. Now, if that was military, let's, 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 uh, let's reflect over a pointer here. If that was military and they had developed uh, a top-secret craft that is the size of, as I said, and soundless, with no engine capacity, you can see, but it can just hang as light as a feather. Why on earth would they be flaunting their technology over civilian airspace? They just wouldn't do it. Why would they bother? Well, an experiment to see how people react? No, they're too smart for that. The military are too smart. They wouldn't do that. So this was, I got the impression it was aloof, as if we can do this, so what are you going to do about it? There's nothing you can do. This is the only impression I got from it. I'm not saying it's telepathy from them because I kept wondering what was on board there. And that's so big. There was a crew, must have been a crew, a huge crew on board. It. But I couldn't tell you what they were. But it, the, 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 the technology, and that's, that's when I saw that, that's what spurred me to write my first book um, called Twin Souls, which I had published by Capel Ban in 2012. This is this ship was the, penult uh, the ultimate... Um, uh, uh, what, what can I, how can I uh, phrase it? Uh, it, it? It spurred me to to actually say, right, I'm going to tell the people we're seeing these things. It and the nasty catalyst thing about, that made you move basically to get something that's done. It, that, that's it. Because I saw it in broad daylight. I was very honoured and privileged. Uh, I wouldn't say that at the time. I wouldn't sound privileged. I was absolutely awed and horrified. It was, as I said, there was a beauty to it. The beauty of this, how they can just move them with no sound, and the size of it, the technology. The technology, that's the thing that interested me more. The technology of that thing. What the hell keeps it airborne, being so massive with no sound? There was no vibration either. I didn't get, and I'll, I'll make these pointers now, I didn't feel any vibration from it. I felt no, no, no effect from it, um, other than there were no birds. This came afterwards. I realized, oh, my God, this, they're usually making a racket all the time, the birds, but there was no birds, nothing. And it's as if a vacuum. I was in a vacuum, a soundless timeless vacuum when this thing passed overhead it was like as philip mantle said high strangeness so so ronnie why why, why do you think nobody else saw it uh, this is a question that's always intrigued me and yeah. it goes right back to that that incident I, I, that i mentioned the ufo landing at normanton i mean this was in a housing estate there's the motorway pretty much almost right next to it it was a beautiful sunny day, and the, 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 it was a mother and several of her children. Yes. And she was as puzzled by the fact that no one else reported it, uh, you know, as much as seeing the damn thing in the first place. She thought, we've seen this. My neighbours will have seen it. You know, it'll be on the local TV tonight. It'll be in the local paper, you know. And, of course, absolutely nothing. No. 
I mean, why, why is that? I mean, it's, it's just something that, you know, it's, it's just been curious. Why, yes. why, why would that be? I know. I, I did think the same thing. It was so damn big. It, must have, it should have been seen by everyone. And I know that prior to it arriving, I could hear children playing uh, back, back of house. I could hear children playing. And when this thing passed overhead, couldn't even hear them. Now, did they see it? There was nothing. Absolutely nothing. I don't know. That's the nasty thing about it, you see. It's rather like them snatching people at night when you're prone, alone, more than not, and vulnerable. They take you. And uh, they can make some people probably see it and others not. I don't know. I'm afraid I'm a little bit perplexed by that. Well, I mean, I mean if, you, if you went down the sceptical line, you could say someone's on their own. It's some kind of internal experience. Hence... You could walk right past them and you would see nothing. Yeah. However, on the, the occasion that I'm talking about, this is a lady by the name of Mrs. Westerman, a married lady. I think there was five children all playing a ball game outside. So it, it, there was multiple witnesses. So it can't have been, you know, a one person internal experience. They all saw it. They all walked towards it and saw this damn thing. And, uh, yes. You know, but why did no one else? And, and it, you know, and that that comes again when I when I've been writing this new book about UFO landings. That comes across time and time again. You know, why did no one else see it? Yeah, because you know, not all of the events were. In, I mean, the skeptics will have us believe, Ronnie, that these things only happen to you know drunken rednecks out in the middle of nowhere. You know, now I've been seriously drunk. Many times in my life, but at no time, and my pals, and my family, I come from an Irish family, Ronnie, you know, yeah. you know, and um, I never hallucinated anything, no. you know, they yeah. always say, oh, he must have had a few drinks, well, yeah. there are millions of people who, under normal circumstances, will be down the pub this weekend, and have a skinful, and I guarantee not one of them, on the way home, or later that night, or whenever, will have any kind of a hallucination whatsoever. You know, so you know, it, yes. it, it, it's just—it's one of those puzzling aspects of the encounter itself. Yes, that's it's, a very good point. And it and it it, it, it bothers me. You know, it really, I, I can't figure out why that must be. You know, why? Because on one hand. We'll have a faction that that will say these things are solid, nuts and bolts, craft, vehicles, call them what you want, and they're not of this earth, you know. And that, that's fair enough. There, there is a, a reasonable argument for that. But then on the other hand, they don't act like, <laughs> on occasion, something solid. I mean, if it was there in a populated area... Surely, someone yeah. else must have seen it. Yeah. However, there are exceptions to that rule. You mentioned the gentleman earlier on in the discussion with Calvin Parker and Charlie Hickson back in Pascagoula, 1973, fishing on the river. The spot on the river is not in the middle of nowhere. It's right by the highway. It was now an abandoned shipyard. Um and there's a huge, great bridge goes right across the river, right next to them. And, of course, other people did see it. Yes. You know? So, on one hand, we have an account in a housing estate in broad daylight, and nobody sees it. Same with yours. 
broad daylight. I assume you didn't live in the middle of nowhere at the time, Ronnie. <laughs> you know, <laughs> there was others, others, and you're not a drunken redneck either. <laughs> you've already, you've, you've already a good point on that because that's absolutely a valid point what you just said about people being drunk but never see them that's the irony of it yeah. and the irony also is like with these greys as we we call them at the moment i mean they might change their faces later on in the future we don't know whatever they are or a faction of them not all i'm saying but um they can put some people asleep while they attend to the victim or they can they can just put people asleep they could do very strange things the point you made about the nuts and bolts and then they don't act like they're physical could it be possible that they are interdimensional, some of them, and when they come through to our realm, they become physical or corporeal, but prior to that, they're not. They're sort of in between. It's like rather like a... Um, oh, how can I put it? D talking about dimensions, um, I gather the dimensions are rather like the rings of a record, uh, or an album, and a, a vinyl, where you have different uh, uh, tracks... So is it possible that sometimes they, they, they cross over to another track, uh, a frequency, and they move into our time space, and when they do, they become corporeal. This is what, this is what might be happening. They might also be interdimensional, uh, basically parallel worlds. Uh, but yes, that, the case you said, Philip, about the, the family and the mother is uh, very interesting as well about what happened there when the ship landed. Well, well, well this, this will make you laugh. Um... This happened literally just a couple of miles from here. And I've written the account up a couple of times in the local uh, newspaper that covers the area, hoping that those children have now grown up and that they may come forward. I got, I literally got the, the old telephone directory out one day and all the people with their surname, I got them all out and I wrote a letter to everyone asking if they were one of the witnesses. Didn't get any replies whatsoever. Oh. Um, Earlier this year, I was on a, a radio show somewhere. I don't know which one it was. A lady in New Zealand listened to it, uh, and she got in touch with me. She says, I come from Normanton, but I, I immigrated to New Zealand whenever. She says, what was, because I, I, I rarely mention the name of the, the lady involved in this case. And it's, it was a lady called Mrs. Westerman. And she said to me, what was the family's name? So I said, Westerman. She says, you'll never believe it. My best friend, that's her surname. And she still lives in Normanton. Wow. She got in touch with her best friend who was now married. And of course, she changed her surname. And she indeed was one of the children there at that day back in 1980. I think it was or 81. Uh, and I've been in touch with her. She, you know, she's 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 doesn't really want to talk about it, you know. Uh, but she's said yes. I confirm. I saw X, Y, and Z. Um, so, but it, it was amazing. Uh, you know, I tried all that time to try and track these people down, and, and it, it came about by today's modern technology. Yeah. But um, I mean, I remember the late Bud Hopkins. Uh, Bud wrote an article, I think it was for the MUFON Journal, and he called it Stewpot Thinking. And basically what Bud was saying is, this is the UFO phenomenon, it fits in that pigeonhole, and this is the paranormal over here, and that fits in that pigeonhole, and never the twins shall meet. And he pointed out, you know, 
you know, but but there yeah. are, you've got to admit there are similarities between the two. Yes. Um, like this, you know, some of the aliens appear through a wall. Yes. Through solid, yes. as as indeed an apparition does. Yes. You know, that... the strange noises made with them. I mean, you know, and strange marks on your on your, on your, on your person. Well, yes. not poltergeists make strange noises and leave marks on the environment as well. You know. Yes. So. I'm a, you know, I don't know. I'm a, you know, I, I, I know no more than anyone else. No, you know? I, well, my own personal research um, through this, and it was spearheaded from the orb that Philip and I were together when we saw it with Grandma, um, and she was psychic, by the way, uh, Grandma King. She was psychic, and this is when the orb came over her head. Was it possible that they were observing us prior to interacting? I don't know, but it seems damn odd that we saw that. And that was physical, that was real. You see, the one thing that annoys me, I mean, I'm like you, gentlemen, I'm a, a rational-minded, hopefully level-headed individual, and I don't lie, I don't invent anything, I don't... Uh, uh, I'm not a sensational seeker. The people must understand that the likes of us don't do this for the hell of it. There is something very odd going on, and it is uh, uh, gaining strength because these things are being seen all over the world. I mean, the Tic Tac uh, uh, reported by the Navy, I believe, um, uh, is a clear indication that something very strange is happening, even though some try and hush it up and say, oh, no, no, it's not. It's not. It's, it's just uh, an exotic aircraft or something they always come up with, some, they always have a, a, a solution to the problem to try and keep our noses pressed to the ground. But the point is, is that with these things, that, that this is what spearheaded me into looking in them. Now, I do believe they're real. The argument is, what are they? I mean, I mean, in the case of Betty and Barney Hill, um, which is a fascinating account from uh, the, Kathleen Marden's wonderful uncle and auntie, these greys, uh, apparent greys, came from one of the star systems, whereas others appear to come from an interdimensional method. Whether they've got smart and they can transverse uh, the laws of space and time, I don't know, but it seems to be a mixture of the two with these things. And another interesting thing is the amount of different faces they have or different forms they have. I mean, you have the insectoids, you have the greys that are recorded, the reptilians, all manner of bizarre things. And my argument uh, with this is with some, with the greys, a faction of them, are they able to change their faces to suit more or less what's in vogue as well as changing their ships? I don't know. Are they masters of illusion? Can they... I mean, it's been proven that they can enter a room and appear as something else other than what they are. Uh, were the doctors an illusion to me? They were, they were making themselves appear in that guise so that I wouldn't be frightened. This is the thing. You see, when we have no... When we have no answers uh, to these uh, questions, it's good that you research them because I do believe it's like a jigsaw puzzle. You've got all these pieces over the place. And certainly with yourself, um, uh, Philip, you're trying to put these pieces together to form a coherent picture. The only problem we have at the moment is technology. That's become, although it's a, a blessing, it's also a curse because it's enabled people now to, to fake to fake images of CGI, of alien ships, the amount I've seen on YouTube, oh my good Lord, the, the amount I've seen on YouTube of the, the, the concocted ships coming into landing or a spectacular scene of them 
uh, hovering over some unknown town affecting lightning and all that is nonsense. So you always have someone or others ready to muddy the pool for good art researchers, which is a pity, really. And using technology against it as well, you know? Absolutely, well, it, completely you know, agree I, with I, that. I, I take a different view uh, that, uh, right? I mean, the the different beings that are reported, to me, is a, is, is, is a problem. Um, because what we what we've learned um, in recent years, we've learned more about our own universe and and the size of it. I mean, the the, the visible universe is, yeah. is forty eight billion light years across. I mean, that's an amazing thing to think of. Within that universe, there are, there are an estimated two trillion galaxies, and of course, within those galaxies, multiple whatever comes after the trillion stars and planets. So our universe is, is, is much bigger than we'd previously imagined. Uh, and that's fine. I mean, that, you would say, would heighten the chances of life existing elsewhere. And I, w- I, would, I would say that's a valid argument. But what it does, of course, it makes it less possible for, for us to have contact because of the distances involved. And even if you even if you push that limit and say, well, yeah, maybe one alien race found us by whatever means, and they are visiting the planet, etc. But of course, we don't have just the one, do we? We have, a, as you pointed out, Ronnie, a whole a whole gamut of them. Yes. You know, and, and you know, do they all come from different places? You know, is this where they come for the holidays? Let's go and have a laugh at the humans. They're real fun. You know what I mean? <laughs> look, at, look, look at these morons, all they do is run around trying to kill each other all day, isn't that funny you know um, So it, it, to me that bothers me I, uh, uh, to me that's a problem I, but you know I'm not saying it's an insurmountable one, it's just a problem what you see as well you, you were right in your, in your summation there is you know as I've been writing up these landing cases for example I start with um a case, believe it or not, goes back to the the, the, the 19th century. And it, it's long before any technology that, that we're, that we're um, used to, of course. And it's a, it's a servant on his way home with his master. And of course, the master's on horseback and he's pegging on behind. He's walking. And... Um, He's got. He's carrying something. I can't remember if it was a, a you know, a, a rabbit or a goose or whatever. Yeah. They're almost home, so the master says, "Right, I'm going to gallop on home. You'll be home in 15 minutes walking, you know." So the master gets home and the servant turns up, you know, three hours late. He's where you been? Well, what do you mean? You're three hours late. And he thought it would only be it would a few minutes late. And he says, "Well." I was captured by the fairies and they took me to this fairy mound and it was illuminated by lanterns that I couldn't see, you know, and, 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 and on we go. Yes. And and that's, you know, 18 something or other. Again, I can't remember the date. And as we move forward in time, you notice that the encounters change. Yes. Yes. I mean, the one I've been writing up today is... is is the most bizarre thing you will ever hear about. And I remember it being written up uh, um, originally. It's at a place in Wales that I can't pronounce, Macalinth or something like that it's called. 
as Chris will will vouch, I have problems with foreign names. For, for <laughs> you have problems with English names at times as well, Phil. <laughs> when we when we talked about the Tic Tac things and what have you, it took me I don't know how long to to say Luis Elizondo. I, I couldn't yeah. pronounce his name for what. Anyway, this is a place in Wales, and they didn't live there. They were they were uh, on holiday there. There, you know, a, a family and their two two sons. And um, they were out in the hills, and the lad walked up the hill, you know, and he saw this thing on. This is again, it's the most bizarre thing, uh, Ronnie. It's a dome-shaped thing on the ground, and there are two entities in inverted commas in it, and they look like they're made of jelly. They change shape, they move around. One of them exits the damn thing, and he runs off. Uh, and he calls his dad, come and have a look at this, and he charges off on his dad, thinks, what's up with that silly bugger, you know, and, and doesn't doesn't follow him. Yeah. And it's the most bizarre thing. Yes. And, and that, to me, I, 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 the investigators were convinced that this was a genuine account. Like I said, the, the young lad had medical and, and psychological problems afterwards, and um, but nonetheless, they were convinced it, it was an accurate rendition of what he saw. Yes. Um, yes. It just puzzles the living daylights yes. out. Of me. That's, that's, really, that's, you know. that's what enforces my opinion that these we know they're real. They're not from this world. They're either from outer space or interdimensional. But they are able to a degree. It's not only our interpretation of them. But it's what they can do. I mean, if the greys, as I've read, I mean, as I may clarify, I myself have never seen a grey myself. I've never seen one. I've seen the doctors. I don't know what they were. Philip has. Uh, but I have not seen, ever seen a grey. But I have read accounts of them um, of actually bringing dead relatives aboard their ship and they shouldn't be there. So they can actually mess with the mind or interact with your mind. And it's what you said, Chris, as well. You said yourself, which is absolutely true. They can read your thoughts. So if they can read your thoughts, they become an absolute incredible weapon against you, a psychological weapon, because they make you think what you they want you to see. Um, you know, they can make you... Uh, if, and, 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 and this is another point I'd like to make. With one of the um, witnesses in my book I'm working on, the greys, when they came through, now they performed some kind of experiment on him. And like the doctors, why didn't they just, if they can do it, which they can do, they can do this, knock them out, perform their experiment, and everyone's happy. You won't know a thing about it. They didn't, and they won't, because that's not part of their agenda. The clue is in them wanting you awake. Now, I've heard that they arrest you with their eyes. This is what I've heard. Their dark eyes, they arrest you. I dare say they do. They can, they can do it. But why? Are they feeding off fear? Are they waiting for a reaction? Or do they need your mind to conjure these things or to help enforce their experiment if things go wrong so they can do something to you? I or don't know. The, or it's... perhaps they can't actually carry out their experiments if you are... Um, in a comatose state, you, you may have to be awake to actually uh, go through the experiment itself. 
Yeah, that's fair enough. I mean, it's interesting just to reflect over it. I think it's good when we bash out um, questions, you know, especially with the greys. I mean, they can knock someone, a wife out before a husband, but keep him up. So it, it, there's obviously a reason for them wanting to be seen. And uh, uh, if they can change their guise, we could then argue why won't they come in uh, the form of just people? Or, but there again, it would be odd because they're walking through walls or being teleported through your room. So I suppose they thought, well, to hell with that. Just show yourself as you are, you know. But an interesting, very fascinating topic. And I would never have thought, myself personally, that I would delve into this, albeit a light degree, uh, into looking into this, the UFO enigma. As I said, um, I couldn't leave the doctors because it, it's rather like... Pandora's box has been opened and once it's opened there's no going back I mean how can I forget them how could I ever go back and try and dismiss them I wanted to tell the world about them As evidently when I'm older and more wiser and a little bit more learned you know to try and try and understand what they what they are and of course as Philip Philip Mantler his, his his books he's written and published this new one you're working on Philip sounds fascinating I certainly would like to read about those uh, incidents especially with the young lad you know what you were saying about. I mean, the... I mean, yeah, I mean, they're from all over the all over the UK. What is interesting yeah. is um, when you do something like this, you know, you see other things that you perhaps might not have been aware of. Uh, I, I was, but you know, it's just because I've been involved for such a long time. But for whatever reason, um, these landing cases peaked in the UK in. in the 1970s, certainly around 1977. Now, some people have put that down to the fact that Close Encounters, the movie, was released in 1977. However, it was only released in the US in 1977. It was 78 before it made it here. Um, so, you know, that has no bearing on it whatsoever. No. Uh, but why would that be? Why, why would there be a peak? You know, uh, yes. it, you know, it's like with again. We'll go back to Calvin Parker. Yes. Calvin and Charlie's encounter was nonetheless fascinating, but it wasn't alone. There was a whole wave of encounter sightings across the, the, the U.S. in 1973. Our good friend and again author who's written for Flying Dis Press, Dr. Irina Scott. Yes. Uh, has, has documented this and had her own encounter in 1973 as well. Um, and, and not, if you look at the UFO phenomenon en masse, uh, you, you go back to the 1950s when we had the, the so-called contactees. Now, the, the creatures they claimed to have met came from, I don't know, the dark side of the moon. Yes. Of course, our, our technology advanced sufficiently in the 1960s to say that's nonsense because there is nothing on the dark side yes. of the moon. We've had a look. Oh, well, they've moved a bit further now. They're actually from Venus. Yes. Well, then, we then learned that the, the atmosphere of Venus is toxic and you couldn't live there. Well, they come from Jupiter. Well, I can't live on Jupiter because it's not actually solid. It's made of gas, you know. Yes. Oh, well, they then come from Reticuli, somewhere further out, you know. Yeah. So, the, and not only that, you, you, you get 
the creatures, as you mentioned, looked almost human in the 50s. You know, the, yes, the blue-eyed Nordics and all this lot. Then it was only the 60s that it became the little grey guys. Yes, that's right. Now, Vogue? yeah, and what is curious now, as I'm writing this book, and I, 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 I've taken some of my own files uh, uh, to be used, and I've, I've gone through, you know, the UFO literature and selected the material from there. Why don't we get these type of events happening now? Because I certainly haven't heard of them. Yes, that's right, because they've changed their tactics. Well, as, as Chris yourself said, as you said, I mean, they're able to read your thoughts, and so they will keep fobbing off this. When humans aren't so advanced, they'll say, we're from here, or we're from here, or we're from here. They're finding out, no, so they are their program. They say, well, now we don't know where they're from because they've got smarter, and uh, they won't tell you anything. Uh, they just seem to apprehend you. It seems to be getting, a, the, with the greys especially, this new wave, this, this, new, uh, this new form they seem to have taken. It seems this is what strengthens my belief that they, not all of them, but there's something there that's able to change its, the shape of itself as it is its ships to, to, to what's in vogue. They're so smart and they've lied to people. Evidently they do lie. Because if they bring dead relatives aboard the ship, they're not real. So it's an illusion. But there is some, I do believe there's purpose behind it. They're very clever. And I don't think they'd be trusted either. Um, how could you trust them? You know, but it's, 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 it's very fascinating, Philip. And as Chris, yourself, you're, you're publishing all this in your wonderful Outer Limits magazine with all these cases beautifully illustrated as well. So I think it's wonderful, you gentlemen, you're out there pushing for answers. All you can do is push and push and push. And I think as the jigsaw puzzle is being put together, I know it's annoying and you can't find all the pieces, but slowly it may form eventually a coherent picture to what we're actually dealing with. Now, it's real. It's genuine. I've seen them myself. I mean, I never even doubt myself anymore because... I'm very cautious who I tell, even today, because you will get those people who laugh at you. But I think generally, on the whole, I think people are, are more open-minded about this now. Much more open-minded. Well, I, I, think, I, think, I think that reaction to the, the subject, you know, again, um, goes out, you know, in and out of fashion, in vogue, so to speak. Um, for example, in, in, the, in the 90s, you had Dr. John Mack, Harvard professor, you know, yes. Pulitzer Prize winning author come out and study the subject that uh, gave the subject an air of credibility. And of course, since December 2017, from the New York Times article, we've had all the, the, the Tic Tac material and, and the, the Navy personnel coming forward. Uh, and uh, again, you know, it, it, it lends the subject an air of credibility. How long that will last remains to be seen. Um, you know, yes. but but uh, it, so it does it does you know there are swings and roundabouts with that. Yes. But um, you know it's just little things like that that bother me. One of the things that you know my my very first book was called Without Consent, and it dealt with um, I, I co-wrote it with a a, a hardened Fleet Street journalist, Carl Nagatis. Carl was an, an amazing man, wonderful chap, um, uh, excellent writer, a wicked sense of humour. And um, one of the things about the abduction phenomena that, uh, I mean, for, for, first and foremost, uh, Ronnie, the, the Close Encounter Club is one that nobody wants to join. You know, 
And um, yes, what I what puzzled me was that you know they'd have these encounters, uh, and of course the aliens would say you won't remember it. So they went under hypnosis and then remembered it. But the aliens carried on doing the same thing. Well, don't you think they would have realised it's pointless, you know, <laughs> giving, yeah. them, giving them amnesia because they can just undergo hypnosis and remember it all, you know. Yes. Uh, so perhaps the aliens weren't as clever as, as, as we thought they were. No. Um, I, I don't know. It's just little, little things like that that bother me. I'm going to jump in there now, gentlemen, because we've literally got two minutes left. So, Phil, do you have a, a perspective or a, an idea of a possible publication date for your, your next publication? And the same to yourself there, uh, Ronnie. When, when do you think yours will be coming out? You don't have to be exact, but you can g just give us a quick idea in the next, like, 90 seconds. Well, I think Philip Mantle will be the judge of that, Chris. I mean, I'll get it finished, and then it will be put into his hands, so... Yeah, what we'll do, Chris, we'll we'll judge the you know the, the timing uh, because uh, the you know as as Ronnie knows that he is in the queue. There's a couple of books you know on the way before his. Mm -hmm. Mine will probably, I would guess, be next year. Um, um, but um, you know I've got to finish it first. Um, but yeah. Ronnie's Ronnie's will be before mine. Of that I have no doubt whatsoever. Well, I've got to say that these are two publications that I'm personally looking forward to. So, is it The Digital Demon, Ronnie? That's right, yes. Okay, that's, that's so we look forward to that. Keep your eyes open at some point this year or early next year, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. And, um, Ronnie, can I just say, author, experiencer, friend, stop messing about. Get on with it. And uh, thank you for joining us on Inside Out Limits radio show. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, thank you very much, Ronnie.
Vernon, Vernon, the heating and cooling specialist. The name says it all. When you focus solely on indoor comfort for 43 years, well, you get really good at it. Get your heating or cooling system tuned by a Vernon specialist today for only $69. Vernon's 60 to 90 minutes of meticulous system inspection guarantees energy savings or the tune-up is free. Now that's a value. Go to vernonheating.com. Vernonheating.com. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.